You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Humby Savetta. All right, well, uh, before we get started and kind of get into everything, I just want uh, to just be, to let you guys know I'm really happy that uh, Robbie was up here to do announcements today because I, I think we really need to clear something up. Robbie, Robbie, you're still in here. Come up here real quick. Everybody give it up for Robbie. So uh, as Robbie slowly walks up after calling on him, um, yeah, come up on the stage, dude, up on the stage. So since Robbie's uh, been on the staff, uh, it seems like just about at least once or twice a month, maybe more, uh, one of us is mistaken for the other person. So I just want to clear it up that we're actually two different people. I super appreciate you guys telling me how much City Youth is changing your kid's life, and that's great. Um, and I'll accept those, those things, uh, but just send them to this guy. So what, what, what's really funny about this is that Robbie's actually 10 years younger than me. So I, I super appreciate when you guys think I'm Robbie. Um, I don't know what that says about him and what he looks like being 10 years older. Uh, what I do know is that either way, I win. So uh, uh, thank you, thank you. So go ahead, thank you, Robbie. Everybody give it up for Robbie. Just a little bit of housekeeping to get out of the way. Um, so Robbie is a, very spe- or is a part of a very special tribe of mine. Uh, you see me, Robbie, and pastors Lee Wong and John Pyle, uh, we were there at my son's birthday party last year taking picture. Um, we have lunch together twice a month, and it's part of kind of like our lunch tribe. So there we get a chance to catch up with each other and really uh, keep each other accountable on what's going on in our lives. And frankly, it's something that we look forward to and we really need. And anytime a group of people is involved and there's food and there's like a regular food meeting in- involved, uh, what's the thing that always ends up happening? Well, where are we going to eat? Well, what do you think? How are we going to eat? And what, where are we going to go here? And, and then there's like a whole thing that ends up happening. I know you guys have had that in every single relationship, probably in your entire life, when you go out to eat with somebody. Well, where are we going to go? So there's one fight. It's, a, it's an ongoing thing. Uh, and it's normally between me and Robbie. Uh, you see, normally we, we talk about wanting to get some good chicken strips. So there's two places uh, that always come up. Bushes and raising canes. So just real quick, just by a show of hands, how many of you guys have eaten at both of those places before? Just raise your hand. Okay, okay. So let, let's figure this out. How many of you guys like raising canes more than bushes? Okay. Now what about the other side? How many of you guys like bushes more than raising canes? Okay. If you guys are raising your hands right now, just like Robbie, you are incredibly wrong. (laughs) So we all have these debates with people, right? We all have things that that happen around us. And when we're trying to figure out where to eat and and whatever it might be, there's there's a point in it where we either go, well, this is where we're going, right? You can either step in and be controlling or you can kind of step back. So just who ends up taking control of the situation? Now, to dig in a little further and to talk about something not quite as silly as lunch or dinner, maybe your team at work wants to move a project in a direction that you don't agree with. Or maybe you're trying to figure out how you're going to spend your money with your spouse. Or maybe you're trying to figure out 
if your kids are going to live with you or with your ex. Normally, when it comes to these situations, people will say compromise is the best solution, right? And there are a couple different ways uh, that you see these things work out. The first way is lose-lose. Uh, this is the, the point where both parties end up doing something that they don't do. Uh, but in the end, there's a balance, right? Because at least the other guy had to give up something too. So there, there, there's that there. So like for our lunch thing, um, you know, we don't agree on bushes and canes. So a lose-lose would be like uh, us missing out on bushes and canes and ending up at something like, I don't know, Taco Bell. I mean, nobody wants to eat at Taco Bell, right? Man, y'all can keep your fake Mexican food, okay? <laughs> you can get quick Mexican food at Las Palapas and Taco Palenque. That's all I'm saying, all right? The next part is the win-win, right? That's where both parties uh, change what they want, but they change it to something that they both like. So with lunch, if we can't uh, agree on on both bushes and canes, we'll end up at something like CeCe's, CeCe's Pizza. Everybody wins at CeCe's Pizza. There's a lot. Hey, hey, come on now, all right? It's, a, it's an American tradition, okay? <laughs> and who doesn't want the win-win? Actually, there are people out there that don't like the win-win. They're called control freaks and ultra-competitive people. And here's why. Because at the end of all this, even in a win-win, you're still having to move away from your original idea. And with, with people that are hungry for control, they're only worried about their own agendas. They just want to see things happen their way. So a lot of the times, that leads to a level of compromise called lose-win. And that's when one side wins and the other side loses. It's that simple. It's all about one side controlling the situation. And when it comes to control, it can be exerted in six different methods, according to Ted Haggard in his book, Dog Training, Fly Fishing, and Sharing Christ in the 21st Century. So the first way is secrets. So that's basically like, you know, if, if you don't do what we're going to do right now, I'm going to tell everybody about what you did at that party last week. Or uh, the second one is information. So that's where somebody controlling could be like, well, if you want to know what's happening you got to do what I tell you. Uh, the third uh, way to uh, method of control is moral superiority. So people like Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks, Gandhi and Cesar Chavez, they all had some sort of moral superiority over the people that they were arguing with. Uh, it's just that they were like fighting for good things. And most of the time when you come across somebody who has the, is trying to use moral superiority against you, they probably don't actually have the moral superiority. They just want to get what they want to get. Uh, the next one method of control is divine authority. Basically, this is saying that God told me to tell you that we're going to Raising Cane's today. So what's interesting about that is each and every week, we actually leverage divine authority. Every single person that steps up here actually leverages that. The, the difference is, is that we uh, delve into the Bible, we read God's Word, and we figure out how we can best give that to you in the best way possible so you guys can live your best life possible. However, when somebody that's hungry for control uses it, it's not necessarily going to be for your best life 
possible. The next one is chain of command. We've all got a boss, right? And for those of you that were in the military or are currently in the military, there are different people that outrank you. And that's just what happens sometimes. That's one of the ways that people can exert control over you. And the last way, the sixth way, is brute force. Super simple. That person's either going to make you do something physically or they're just going to threaten to make you do something just by physical force. Now, these methods of control can pop up in every single relationship that we have out there. It can also rear its ugly head in our tribes. And people that want to have some sort of control over you are everywhere. And it's up to us to make sure that we aren't being taken advantage of, of in our relationships, in our tribes. So what ends up happening is we have to set up very good boundaries with the people that are around us. So um, when you hear boundaries and all that, it's not like just saying, oh, I'm going to make a bunch of threats and people got to figure it out. It's about actually making the person understand the consequences of what would happen if they make a choice in your life. It's that easy. Now, here's the tough part of it, though. So if you say, hey, man, if, if we go to Bush's, I'm never going to lunch again with you guys. Well, what I actually have to do is follow through on that thing if we end up going to Bush's. I have to actually never have lunch with them again, um, which is probably not very good for me in my life. So you have to, like, change it. But you have to actually follow through with the consequences that you lay out with the people in your life. So what ends up happening is if you lay out healthy consequences and things that aren't like dramatic and crazy, but there is a consequence involved uh, to that action, what will end up happening is um, a person may not care and they just continue to do whatever they want in spite of those consequences. Well, if that's the case, the relationship that you are in is probably a bad one and you probably need to figure a way out of it. Now, one note on all of this is um, if there is any kind of harm, uh, whether it's bodily or spiritually or emotionally going on in a relationship that you have, whether it's romantic or, or not, uh, just get out of it now. Just get out and go. Don't, don't sweat it. Don't think about it. Don't set up boundaries. Just get out. Um, and, and then figure out the rest of the stuff later as far as how you're going to proceed uh, from there. But the first thing is, we don't want you guys to be in a position where you're harmed regularly, or really ever. So just do that. Can, can you guys just do that if you happen to be in, in something like that? So here's the gist of this whole boundaries thing. We can't be in a healthy relationship, and we can't be in a healthy tribe without appropriate boundaries. So if you're looking around at everything that we've been talking about, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm someone who actually does some of these things. I have some of these control issues uh, going on in my life. Well, there's actually some practical ways that you can deal with this. And as a matter of fact, Jesus actually spoke to what relationships should look like uh, in the Bible. You see, Jesus understood our nature and how we might naturally gravitate towards uh, control in our relationships. So uh, not long before uh, he ended up given his life away, he decided to have a dinner with his disciples. Some of us might know it as the Last Supper. Now, during this dinner, Jesus laid out some of the most important things that he said in his entire life during this dinner. And one of them has a direct correlation with the control we've been talking about, the control issues that you might have in yourself. He understood what would be in our hearts when we were in a relationship or a tribe. 
So he explains something new for his disciples and for us to follow. And in John 15, 9, it says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So here it is. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, this is incredible. Each and every person on the planet is getting called out here. Love people the same way Jesus loved people. Get rid of every single shred of selfishness that you have and lay down your life for your friends. And why does Jesus want you to lay down your life? He says it right there in verse 11, so that you may be filled with joy. When you lay down your life, you're filled with joy. It's the exact opposite of what we think, right? You think if you get your way all the time that you're going to be happy, but what, what you end up finding out, and Jesus says it right there, if you lay down your life, you'll find his joy in your life. Now, this scripture informs us of what the big idea is for today. Lay down your control to lay down your life. Lay down your control to lay down your life. So what does it look like to lay down your life? Well, first off, instead of arguing the finer points of chicken fingers and sides, just let somebody else pick lunch sometime. Robbie. <laughs> instead of digging your heels in at work and trying to stop somebody else's idea, you should support it and figure out how to continue to make it better. Instead of holding on to your kids so tightly that they can't wait to move out of your house, figure out how to support them in good decision-making in their life. Instead of controlling your significant other with all kinds of mind games and traps, just love them. Lay down your control and lay down your life for them. Think of it like this. When you want to pick up some sand, you can only hold so much if you, like, put your hands in and grab it and hold it like that, right? Even with two hands, it's, you're not going to hold too much. But if you scoop it and you hold it with two hands open without a clenched fist holding onto it tightly, you can hold way more sand in your hands. It's the same thing that we're talking about here, guys. If we can be a church that is laying down our lives for the people around us, imagine what that would do for our friends. Imagine what that would do for our families. Imagine what that would do for our city. Lay down your control to lay down your life. Now, there's an incredible example of laying down your life for others that is less than a mile away from us here, the Alamo. Now, the Alamo is a national historic landmark and is considered part of San Antonio's World Heritage Site. Now, for those of you that don't know what the Alamo is and why it's so important, you see, while Texas was fighting for its independence, one of the greatest battles happened there. In this battle, an army of no more than 200 men fought to keep the Alamo in control of the Texans. And they took on a much larger Mexican army. And I'm not talking like just a handful, 
like thousands more men were coming against them. So one day into the battle, the commander of the Alamos Texan forces, William Barrett Travis, penned a letter to the leaders of the entire Texas army. And this is what it said. To the people of Texas and all Americans in the world, fellow citizens and compatriots, I am besieged by a thousand or more of the Mexicans under Santa Ana. I have sustained a continual bombardment and cannonade for 24 hours and have not lost a man. The enemy has demanded, demanded a surrender at discretion. Otherwise, the garrison are to be put to the sword if the fort is taken. I have answered the demand with a cannon shot, and our flag still waves proudly from the walls. I shall never surrender or retreat. Then I call on you in the name of liberty, of patriotism, and everything dear to the American character to come to our aid with all dispatch. The enemy is receiving reinforcements daily and will no doubt increase to two or four thousand in four or five days. If this call is neglected, I am determined to sustain myself as long as possible and die like a soldier who never forgets what is due to his own honor and that of his country. Victory or death, William Barrett Travis, Lieutenant Colonel, commanded. Ten days after that was written, Travis, along with all of his men, died in the Battle of the Alamo. But their deaths weren't in vain. During the battle, this brave, small group of Texans were able to severely weaken the Mexican army. Not only that, the bravery of this squad bought time for the rest of the Mexican army to fully gather, for the rest of the Texans army to fully gather their ranks in the city of San Jacinto. Now, in the final major battle of the Texas Revolution there in San Jacinto, remember the Alamo was a phrase that could be heard in between the cannonade and musket shots. It was a phrase that pushed Texas, the Texas army, to do better. It was a phrase that helped them understand exactly what was done for them. And when the Battle of San Jacinto was all said and done, the Texas army stood against their opponents from the south victorious. And it was the way that William Travis and the rest of his forces chose to lay down their control and their lives for their friends that inspired that army. It was their deaths that helped create a freedom that the young nation of Texas had never tasted before. And biblically, you see something similar. You see, Jesus understood what he was going to have to do for us. In addition to living his entire life for us, for all of us, he had to literally give up his life for us too. Now, even in a human body, Jesus had incredible powers that we don't fully understand. And it was a power where no man on, this, on that earth, on this earth, any earth, could have taken his life. No man could have taken Jesus' life from him. Instead, Jesus had to give himself over. He had to lay down his control and listen to what his father's will was to lay down his life. 
And we see just that in Luke 22. As Jesus' time gets even closer, he walks away from his disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray this simple prayer. He said, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus had all the power in the universe. He could have controlled the situation with ease, but instead, he laid his life down for us. He laid his life down for our freedom. But he didn't just give us freedom from some sort of earthly oppressor like a country. He gave us a freedom that is eternal. By dying on the cross for our sins, Jesus gave us the ability to enjoy a freedom in heaven alongside him. So in addition to remembering the Alamo, remember Gethsemane. And through simply believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you too can enjoy the freedom that you have maybe never tasted before in your life. With that being said, let's go ahead and bow our heads to pray. Now, if you have never laid down the control in your life, and today you want to lay it down and ask Jesus to enter into your life, I want you to pray something like this with me. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for laying down your control and your life for me. I want to do the same thing in my life right now and let you in to my life. So right here, right now, I'm saying that I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Thank you for your sacrifice and thank you for living your life for me. So with our heads still bowed, for everyone in the room, whether you just prayed that prayer right now or if you've known Jesus for as far back as you can remember and you just want to be better at letting go of your control, pray something like this. Jesus, thank you so much for setting the example of laying your life down for me. Thank you for not only dying for me, but for living for me. Right here, right now, the best way I know how, I am laying down all the ways I'm trying to control my own life. For the rest of my days, I want to chase after you. So Jesus, I ask that you help me lay down my control with my friends. I ask that you help me lay down my control with my family. And I ask you that you help me lay down my control in every single facet of my life to you. I love you and I thank you for everything. And we pray all of these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.